This is the Connor Chepnik Podcast, episode number eight. Today I'm going to do another read-through of Gerwinder's excellent piece, TikTok is a Chinese Super Weapon. So without further ado, here we go. A Weapon of Mass Destruction For thousands of years, humans sought to subjugate their enemies by inflicting pain, misery, and terror. They did this because these were the most paralyzing emotions they could consistently evoke. All it took was the slash of a sword or pull of a trigger. But as our understanding of psychology has developed, so it has become easier to evoke other emotions in complete strangers. Advances in the understanding of positive reinforcement, driven mostly by people trying to get us to click on links, have now made it possible to consistently give people on the other side of the world dopamine hits at scale. As such, pleasure is now a weapon, a way to incapacitate an enemy as surely as does pain. And the first pleasure weapon of mass destruction may just be a little app on your phone called TikTok. The Smiling Tiger. TikTok is the most successful app in history. It emerged in 2017 out of the Chinese video sharing app Douyin, and within three years it had become the most downloaded app in the world, later surpassing Google as the world's most visited web domain. TikTok's conquest of human attention was facilitated by the COVID lockdowns of 2020, but its success wasn't mere luck. There's something about the design of the app that makes it unusually irresistible. Other platforms like Facebook and Twitter use recommendation algorithms as, a, as features to enhance the core product. With TikTok, the recommendation algorithm is the core product. You don't need to form a social network or list your interests for the platform to begin tailoring content to your desires. You just start watching, skipping any videos that don't immediately draw your interest. TikTok uses a proprietary algorithm known, known simply as the For You algorithm that uses machine learning to build a personality profile of you by training itself on your watch habits and possibly your facial expressions. Since a TikTok video is generally much shorter than, say, a YouTube video, the algorithm acquires training data from you at a much faster rate, allowing it to quickly zero in on you. The result is a system that's unsurpassed at figuring, out, figuring you out. And once it's figured you out, it can then show you what it needs to in order to addict you. Since the For You algorithm favors only the most instantly mesmerizing content, its constructive videos such as how-to guides and field journal journalism tend to be relegated to the fringes in favor of tasty but malignant junk info. Many of the most popular TikTokers such as Charlie DeMello, Bella Porch, and Addison Rae do little more than rapidly dance and lip sync. Individually, such videos are harmless, but the algorithm doesn't intend to show you just one. When it receives a signal that it's got your attention, it doubles down on whatever it did to get it. This allows it to feed your obsessions, showing you hypnotic content again and again, reinforcing its imprint on your brain. This content include promotion of self-harm and eating disorders and uncritical encouragement of sex reassignment surgery. There's evidence that watching such content can cause mass psychogenic illness. Researchers recently identified a new phenomenon where otherwise healthy young girls who watch clips of Tourette's suffered... Su Tourette sufferers develop Tourette's like tics. A more common way TikTok promotes irrational behavior is with viral trends and challenges, where people engage in a specific act of idiocy in the hope it'll make them TikTok famous. Acts include licking toilets, snorting suntan lotion, eating chicken cooked in NyQuil, and stealing cars. One challenge, known as Devious Licks, encourages kids to vandalize property, while the Blackout Challenge in which kids purposely choke themselves with household items, has even led to several deaths, including a little girl a few days ago. And for those not watching the actual video, there's a picture of two women drinking what looks to be whipped cream, chocolate syrup, and sprinkles out of a toilet bowl. 
As troublesome as TikTok's trends are, the app's greatest danger lies not in any specific content, but in its general addictive nature. Studies on long-term TikTok addiction don't yet exist for obvious reasons, but based on what we know of internet addiction generally, we can extrapolate its eventual effects on habitual TikTokers. There's a substantial body of research showing a strong association between smartphone addiction, shrinkage of the brain's gray matter, and digital dementia, an umbrella term for the onset of anxiety and depression and the deterioration of memory, attention span, self-esteem, and impulse control, the last of which increases the addiction. These are the problems caused by internet addiction generally, but there's something about TikTok that makes it uniquely dangerous. In order to develop and maintain mental facilities like memory and attention span, one needs to practice using them. TikTok, more than any other app, is designed to give you what you want while requiring, requiring you to do as little as possible. It cares little who you follow or what buttons you click. Its main consideration is how long you spend watching. Its reliance on machine learning rather than user input, combined with the fact that TikTok clips are so short they require minimal memory and attention span, makes browsing TikTok the most passive, uninteractive experience of all major platforms. If it's the passive nature of online content consumption that causes atrophy of mental facilities, then TikTok, as the most passively used platform, will naturally cause the most atrophy. Indeed, many habitual TikTokers can already be found complaining on websites like Reddit about their loss of mental ability, a phenomenon that comes to be known as TikTok brain. If the signs are becoming apparent already, imagine what TikTok addiction, TikTok addiction will have done to the young developing brains a decade from now. TikTok's capacity to stupefy people, both acutely by encouraging idiotic behavior and chronically by atrophying the brain, should prompt consideration of its potential use as a new kind of weapon. One that seeks to neutralize enemies, not by inflicting pain and terror, but by inflicting pleasure. Last month, FBI Director Chris Wei warned that TikTok is controlled by a Chinese government that could use it for influence operations. So how likely is it that one such influence operation might include addicting young Westerners to mind-numbing content to create a generation of nincompoops? The first indication that the Chinese Communist Party is aware of TikTok's malign influence on kids is that it's forbidden, forbidden access of the app to Chinese kids. The American tech ethicist Tristan Harris pointed out that the Chinese version of TikTok, Douyin, is a Spanish version where kids don't see twerkers and toilet lickers, but science experiments and educational videos. Furthermore, Douyin is only accessible to kids for 40 minutes per day, and it cannot be accessed between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. Has the CCP enforced such rules to protect its people from what it intends to inflict on the West? When one examines the philosophical doctrines behind the rules, it becomes clear that the CCP doesn't just believe that apps like TikTok make people stupid, but that they destroy civilizations. Seven Mouths, Eight Tongues China has been suspicious of Western liberal capitalism since the 1800s when the country's initial openness led to Western powers flooding China with opium. The epidemic of addiction combined with the ensuing opium wars accelerated the fall of the Qing dynasty and led to the century of humiliation in which China was subject to harsh and unequal terms by Britain and the U.S. Mao is credited with eventually crushing the opium epidemic, and since then the view among many in China has been that Western liberalism leads to decadence and that authoritarianism is a cure. But one man has done more than anyone to turn this thesis into policy. His name is Wang Huning. I apologize if I mispronounce that. And despite not being well known outside China, he has been China's top ideological theorist for three decades. And he is now member number four of the seven-man standing committee, China's most powerful body. He advised China's former leader, probably going to mispronounce these two, Zheng Zemin and Hu Jinto, and he now advises Xi Jinping 
authoring many of his policies. In China, he is called Gushi, literally teacher of the nation. Wang refuses to do press or even to speak with foreigners, but his worldview can be surmised from the books he wrote earlier in his life. In August 1988, Wang accepted an invitation to spend six months in the U.S. and traveled from state to state, noting the way American society operates, examining its strengths and weaknesses. He recorded his findings in the 1991 book America Against America, which has since become a key CCP text for understanding the U.S. The premise of the book is simple. The U.S. is a paradox composed of contradictions. Its two primary values, freedom and equality, are mutually exclusive. It has many different cultures and therefore no overall culture. And its market-driven society has given its economic riches but spiritual poverty. As he writes in the book, American institutions, culture, and values oppose the United States itself. For Wing, the U.S.'s contradictions stem from one source, nihilism. The country has become severed from its traditions and is so individualistic it can't make up its mind what it as a nation believes. Without an overarching culture maintaining its values, the government's regulatory powers are weak, easily corrupted by lobbying or paralyzed by partisan bickering. As such, the nation's progress is directed mostly by blind market forces. It obeys not a single command, but a cacophony of 300 million demands that lead it everywhere and nowhere. In Wang's view, the lack of a unifying culture puts a hard limit on the U.S.'s progress. The country is constantly producing wondrous new technologies, but these technologies have no guiding purpose other than their own proliferation. The result is that all technological advancement leads the U.S. along one unfortunate trajectory towards more and more commodification. Wang writes, Human flesh, sex, knowledge, politics, power, and law can all become the target of commodification. Commodification, in many ways, corrupts society and leads to a number of serious social problems. These problems, in turn, can increase the pressure on the political and administrative systems. Thus, by turning everything into a product, Western capitalism devours every aspect of American culture, including the traditions that bind it together as a nation, leading to atomization and polarization. The commodification also devours meaning and purpose, and to plug the expanding spiritual hole that this leaves, Americans turn to monetary pleasures, drugs, fast food, and amusements, driving the nation further into decadence and decay. For Wang, then, the U.S.'s unprecedented technological progress is leading it into a chasm. Every new microtrip, TV, and automobile only distracts and sedates Americans further. As Wang writes in his book, it is not the people who master the technology, but the technology that masters the people. Though these words are 30 years old, they could easily have been talking about social media addiction. Wang theorized that the conflict between the U.S.'s economic system and its value system made it fundamentally unstable and destined for ever more commodification, nihilism, and decadence, until it finally collapses under the weight of its own contradictions. To prevent China's own technological advancement leading it down the same perilous path, Wing proposed an extreme solution, neo-authoritarianism. In his 1988 essay, The Structure of China's Pol Changing Political Culture, Wing wrote that the only way a nation could avoid the U.S.'s problems is by instilling core values, a national consensus of beliefs and principles rooted in the traditions of the past and directed towards a clear goal in the future. Such a consensus could eventually ward off nihilism and decadence, but cultivating it would in turn require the elimination of nihilism and decadence. This idea has been central to President Xi's governance strategy, which has emphasized core socialist values like civility, patriotism, and integrity. So how has the push for these socialist core values affected the CCP's approach to social media? 
The creator of TikTok and CEO of ByteDance, Zhang Yiming, originally intended for the content on TikTok in its Chinese version, Douyin, to be determined purely by popularity. As such, Douyin started off much like TikTok is now, with the content dominated by teenagers singing and dancing. In April 2018, the CCP began acting, began action against Zhang. Its media watchdog, the National Radio and Television Administration, ordered the removal from Chinese app stores of ByteDance's then most popular app, Toitiao, and its AI news aggregator, Nian Duanzin, citing their platforming of improper content. Zeng then took to social media to offer a groveling public apology, stating, Our products took the wrong path, and content appeared that was incommensurate with socialist core values. Shortly after, ByteDance announced it would recruit thousands more people to moderate content, and according to CNN, in the subsequent job ads, it stated a preference for CCP members with strong political sensitivity. The CCP's influence over ByteDance has only grown since then. Last year, the party had acquired a golden share in ByteDance's Beijing entity, and one of its officials, Wu Shugang, took one of the company's three board seats. The CCP intrusion into ByteDance's operation is part of a broader strategy by Z called the Profound Transformation, which seeks to clear space for the instituting of core socialist values by ridding China of decadent by ridding China of decadent online content. In August 2021, a statement appeared across Chinese state media calling for an end to TikTok-style tittytainment for fear that our young people will lose their strong and masculine vibes and we will collapse. In the wake of that statement, there have been crackdowns on sissy men, fashions, digital drugs like online gaming, and toxic idol worship. Consequently, many online influencers have been forcibly deprived of their influence, with some, such as the movie star Zai Wao, having their entire presence erased from the Chinese web. For Z and the CCP, eliminating decadent TikTok-style content from China is a matter of survival because such content is considered a herald of nihilism, a regression of humans back to beasts, a symptom of the West's terminal illness that must be prevented from metacizing to China. And yet, while cracking down on this content domestically, China has continued to allow its export internationally as part of Z's digital Silk Road. TikTok is known to censor content that displeases Beijing, such as mentions of Falun Gong or Tinian Square, but otherwise it has free reign to show Westerners what it wants. Tittytainment and sissy men are everywhere on the app, so why the hypocritical disparity in the rules? Is the digital Silk Road intended as poetic justice for the original Silk Road, whereby the Western powers preach Christian values while trafficking chemical TikTok, opium, into China? Since Wang and Z believe the West is too decadent to survive, they may have opted to take the Taoist path of Wu Wei, which is to say sit back and let the West's appetite take it where they will. But there's another, more sinister and effective approach they may have adopted. To understand it, we must consider one final piece of the puzzle, an amphetamine-fueled philosopher who lived in my hometown. The Matricide Laboratory At first glance, the British philosopher Nick Lan could hardly be more different from Wang Haning. Wang rose to prominence by being dour, discreet, and composed, while Lan rose to prominence by ranting about cyborg apocalypses while out of his mind on weed and speed. In the late 1990s, Lan moved into a house once owned by Satanists, Libertine, Aleister Crowley, half a mile from where I grew up, and there he apparently binged on drugs and scrawled occult diagrams on the walls. At nearby Warwick University, where he taught, his lectures were often bizarre. One infamous lesson consisted of Land lying on the floor, croaking into the mic, while frenetic jungle music pulsed in the background. And there's a picture that looks quite psychedelic of Nick Land, for those just listening. 
Wing and Lan were not just polar opposites in personality, they also operated at opposite ends of the political spectrum. While Wing could go on to be the top ideological theorist of the Chinese Communist Party, Lan would become the top theorist, with Curtis Yarvin, of the influential network of far-right bloggers, NRX. And yet, despite their opposite natures, Lan and Wing would develop almost identical visions of liberal capitalism as an all-commodifying, all-devouring force driven by the insatiable hunger of blind market forces and destined to finally eat Western civilization itself. Land viewed Western liberal capitalism as a kind of AI that's reached the singularity. In other words, an AI that's grown beyond the control of humans and is now unstoppably accelerating towards inhuman ends. As Land feverishly wrote in his 1995 essay, Miltdown, the story goes like this. Earth is captured by techno-capital singularity as Renaissance rationalization and oceanic navigation lock into commoditization takeoff. Logistically accelerating techno-economic interactivity crumble social order, and auto-sophisticating machine runaway. Land's drug-fueled prose is overwrought, so to simplify his point, Western capitalism can be compared to a paperclip maximizer, a hypothetical AI programmed by a paperclip business to produce as many paperclips as possible, which leads it to begin recycling everything on Earth into paperclips, i.e. commodities. When the programmers panic and try to switch it off, the AI turns them into paperclips, since being switched off would stop it fulfilling its goal of creating as many paperclips as possible. Thus, the blind application of short-term goals leads to long-term ruin. Land believed that since the runaway AI we call liberal capitalism commodifies everything, including even criticisms of it, which are necessarily published for profit, it cannot be opposed. Every attack on it becomes part of it. Thus, if one wishes to change it, the only way is to accelerate it along its trajectory. As Land stated in a later more sober writing style, the point of an analysis of capitalism or of nihilism is to do more of it. The process is not to be critiqued. The process is the critique feeding back into itself as it escalates. The only way forward is through, which means further in. A quick and dirty introduction to accelerationism 2017. This view that the current system must be accelerated to be transformed has since become known as accelerationism. And it's become popular among anti-liberal revolutionaries of all stripes, but particularly among the far-right NRX who follow land due to his embrace of neo-fascism. He came to believe that authoritarian regimes can accelerate nations toward prosperity, but all democracies accelerate towards ruin. Land's own life followed the same course he envisioned for the West. Following years of high productivity, he fell into nihilism and the decadence of rampant drug use, which drove him to a nervous breakdown. Upon recovering in 2002, he moved to Shanghai, where he's lived since, occasionally writing for Chinese state media outlets like China Daily and the Shanghai Star. A few years after Lan moved to China, talk of accelerationism began to emerge on the Chinese web, where it's become known by its Chinese name, J-I-A-S-U-Z-H-U-Y-E, don't even want to try and pronounce that. The term has caught on among Chinese democracy advocates, many of whom view the CCP as the runaway AI, hurtling towards greater tyranny, they even refer to Z as accelerator-in-chief. Domestically, Chinese democracy activists try to accelerate the CCP's authoritarianism ad absurdum. One tactic is to swamp official tip-off lines with reports of minor or made-up infractions, with the intent of breaking the party by forcing it to enforce all its own petty rules. As for the CCP itself, it's known to have viewed former U.S. President Donald Trump as the accelerator-in-chief, or more accurately, Chuan... Johnny Go, Johnny Gao, because he was perceived as helping China by accelerating the West decline. 
For this reason, support of him was encouraged. The CCP is also known to have engaged in Jusu Huyai, more directly, for instance, during the 2020 U.S. race riots, trying to use Western social media platforms to douse accelerant over U.S. racial tensions. But the use of TikTok as an accelerant is a whole new scale of accelerationism, one much closer to Land's original apocalyptic vision. Liberal capitalism is about making people work in order to obtain pleasurable things, and for decades, it's been moving towards shortening the delay between desire and gratification because that's what consumers want. Over the past century, the market has taken us towards ever shorter form entertainment from cinema in the early 1900s to TV mid-century to minute-long YouTube videos to second-long TikTok clips. With TikTok, the delay between desire and gratification is almost instant. There's no longer any patient or effort needed to obtain the reward, and so our mental faculties, automated out of their jobs, wither. And this is why TikTok could prove such a devastating geopolitical weapon. Slowly but steadily, it could turn the West's use, its future, into perpetually distracted dopamine junkies ill-equipped to maintain the civilization built by their ancestors. We seem to be halfway there already. Not only has there been gray matter shrinkage in smartphone-addicted individuals, but since 1970, the Western average IQ has been steadily falling. Though the decline likely has several causes, it began with the first generation to grow up with widespread TVs and homes, and must surely be at least partly the result of technology making the attainment of satisfaction increasingly effortless, so that we spend even more time in a passive vegetative state. If you don't use it, you lose it. And even those still willing to use their brains are at risk of having their efforts foiled by social media, which seems to be affecting not just the kids' abilities, but also their aspirations. In a survey asking American and Chinese kids what job they most wanted, the top answer among Chinese kids was astronaut, and the top answer among American kids was influencer. If we continue along our present course, the resulting loss of brain power in key fields could, years from now, begin to harm the West economically. But more importantly, if it did, it would help discredit the very notion of Western liberalism itself, since there is no greater counterargument to a system than to see it destroy itself. And so the CCP would benefit doubly from this outcome, ruin the, ruin the West, and refute it. Two birds with one stone, or as they say in China, one arrow, two eagles. So the CCP has both the means and the motive to help the West defeat itself, and part of this could conceivably involve the use of TikTok to accelerate liberal capitalism by closing the gap between desire and gratification. Now, it could be argued that we have no hard evidence of the CCP's intentions, only a set of indications. However, ultimately, the CCP's intentions are irrelevant. Accelerationism can't alter an outcome, only hasten it. And TikTok, whether or not it's actively intended as a weapon, is only moving the West further along the course it's long been headed, towards more effortless pleasure and resulting cognitive decline. The problem, therefore, is not China, but us. America against America. If TikTok is not a murder weapon, then it's a suicide weapon. China has given the West the means to kill itself, but the death wish is wholly the West's. After all, TikTok dominated our culture as a result of free market forces the very thing we live by. Land and Wang are correct that the West being controlled by everyone means it's controlled by no one. Without brakes or steering wheel, we're at the market's mercy. Of course, democracies do have some regulatory power. Indian lawmakers banned TikTok in 2020, and U.S. lawmakers are now considering the same. However, while this may stop the theft of our data, it won't stop the theft of our attention. If TikTok is banned, then another short-form video site will just take its place. Effortless dopamine hits are what consumers want, 
and capitalism always tries to give consumers what they want. Anticipating the demand, YouTube has added its own TikTok-style YouTube Shorts format, and Twitter recently implemented its own version of TikTok's For You algorithm. The market is a great accelerator than China could ever hope to be. So what's the solution? Land and Wing may be right about the illness, but they're wrong about the cure. Democracies are vulnerable because there's no one controlling their advancement. But autocracies are vulnerable precisely for the opposite reason. They're controlled by people, which is to say, by willfully myopic apes. China is currently suffering from the myopia of Z's zero-COVID policy, which has ravaged the country's economy. We'd be unwise to exchange the tyranny of dopamine, excuse me, the tyranny of dopamine for the tyranny of despots. That leaves only one solution, the democratic one. In a democracy, responsibility is also democratized. So parents must look out for their own kids. There's a market for this too. Various brands of parental controls could be set on devices to limit kids' access. Though many of these, including TikTok's own controls, can be easily bypassed. But ultimately, these are short-term measures. In the long term, the only way to prevent digital dementia is to raise awareness of the neurological ruin brought by apps like TikTok exposing their ugliness so they fall out of fashion like cigarettes. If the weakness of liberalism is its openness, then this is also its strength. Word can travel far in democracies. Will surely sound like alarmist, TikTok destroys so gradually that it seems harmless, but if the app is a time bomb that'll wreck a whole generation years from now, then we can't wait till its effects are apparent before acting, for then it will be too late. The clock is ticking. Tick-tock, tick-tock. What an incredible piece by Gerwinder. I gotta say, the first thing that comes to mind is that the atrophy of our brains is more malicious than the atrophy of our bodies in the sense that when you stop working out and you lay around your house and you eat like crap, it becomes apparent pretty quickly and other people can see it that you have not been taking care of yourself. Whereas if you scroll TikTok all day and your brain atrophies like Gerwinder was talking about on here, you don't necessarily see it. You know, maybe if you interact with the person enough, you can kind of start to see that they're a little bit slower, but it's a lot harder to notice at first. I think the point too that this is a, a war within ourselves, you know, with, with the America versus America. It, it's a beautiful thing that we have all the freedoms we do in this country, but with all that freedom, like uh, they, like Spider-Man's uncle said, great uh, freedom comes great responsibility or something like that. You know, we really have to take control of our our actions because we we have the freedom to just sit around and. There, you know, the U.S. is not the CCP. No one is enforcing that you can't go on TikTok between 10 p.m. or 6 a.m. or making sure that you only use the app for 40 minutes a day. You could use the app all day, and you know, based on what I just read about this algorithm, it's just going to get better and better and better at showing you more content. But that is really bad for you. And you know, I asked to be perfectly candid. I, I definitely have an addiction to Twitter because I, well, I do think there's a lot of value in Bitcoin Twitter. I think these algorithms, and clearly Twitter's not as bad as TikTok, but it's trying to be like it with this For You recommendation, feeds you that constant dopamine drip. And uh, I'm reminded of a Thomas Paine quote I tweeted recently that uh, something along the lines of anything great takes takes a lot of uh, hard work to achieve. You know, you won't get anything meaningful in a, in a few, you know, scrolls of your thumbs. So it's it's hard to really put in the work in understand that you will reap the rewards 
but it's going to take a long time, especially if you're constantly getting these little dopamine drips. It's a tough thing. It's a really tough thing to overcome, not just giving in to that little dopamine hit, to not open the app. And there's things we can do like delete apps off our phones, you know, try and go a day without it. But it's difficult, especially the more people are using it. You know, phone is a strong thing. But I do implore everyone listening to really think about this with an open mind and not just, uh, you know, write off the idea of deleting an app from your phone for at least a day just because, you know, you, you get that gut feeling like, oh, no, I couldn't do that. I mean, I get it, right? I, 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 to the people who don't use social media today, respect, like, honest to God, respect, because it is not an easy thing to do. And I think it's important we look at these things candidly. And, you know, I just had a daughter, and I want to make sure she grows up and reads and does things the right way. And it's a fine line, because I, I, I'm not just going to be the authoritarian and tell her, hey, you can't go on this app. But I also want to explain to her, this app is not good for you. This app withers away at your brain. This app gives you those quick dopamine hits that make it so you don't have the desire to actually sit down and read a book for an hour or study how to code for an hour or take an hour to learn a new language. You know, the more you get that cheap little dopamine hit, the harder it becomes to spend an hour doing something difficult. And, uh, at like, you know, Gerwinder talked about, it's just such a malicious atrophy of the brain because you can't see it initially, you know? There are times I've gone to my friend's house and candidly, we're all looking at our phones and uh, I'm guilty of it too. And sometimes I feel bad because it's like, man, these algorithms are getting so good at recommending us stuff and so good at giving us these dopamine hits. And I truly do believe the free market is the best system and capitalism is uh, the best way to build wealth. But I think it's such a fine line because with that responsibility, it's hard not to give in to all the little pleasures. And if you want to build anything great, it's going to take a lot of work. And stuff like TikTok clearly makes it harder to maintain that degree of difficulty. So something to think about it. Props again to Gerwinder. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. He wrote an excellent piece. TikTok is a Chinese super weapon. You should check out his substack at gerwinder.substack.com. I'll have the link in the show notes. Anyways, thank you for listening. This has been the Connor Shepnick Podcast, episode number eight. Got two people from Bitcoin Magazine coming on soon, so uh, hopefully have the episodes nine and ten out uh, at some point in February. All right, cheers.